morning, crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto, Billy, also known as the CEO of Double Bottom Trading. And today we have a very special guest, a Fox business reporter well-known for breaking the most impactful crypto-related stories in our space, renowned for her interviews with Jeremy Hogan and John Deaton. Ellie Tourette is in the building, ladies and gentlemen, so I'm very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how the World Economic Forum published its first-ever regulatory report on crypto, warning Ethereum investors about the centralization of their currency, claiming that other decentralized products will change finance forever. Coinbase could soon be exiting America after launching a new service in over 35 countries worldwide. While the Rippleverse SEC case is anticipating a ruling in the coming weeks, we discuss the impact of the Hinman emails and the future of crypto regulation in America. And with central banks around the world experiencing a liquidity crisis of a lifetime, we break down the details, showing our community how the FedNow system is built to save American banks. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube, Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So, Johnny, we have a very exciting guest today. But coincidentally enough, we have an amazing report out of the World Economic Forum I'm excited to go over. But first of all, how are you feeling, my friend? And thank you for being here. Abs, I'm feeling great. It's Friday. The sun's out. We brought the guns out. I'm not talking about these guns, but we got Ellie in the house today. I am super excited. We got to meet her at XRP Vegas a few weeks ago. She had a great interview with John Deaton here. We bring her live to you, so we're super excited about that. Let me start this out like I do every day, though, Abs. Good morning to all the Warrior Maniacs out there. We love you guys. Appreciate you for showing up every single day. And, Abs, let's not forget, it is Memorial Day weekend, so I want to do a shout-out to all the all the veterans out there who have given their lives so we can have the freedom to be here today. So thank you, all the veterans, for your family and your sacrifices. We love you guys, and we appreciate you guys, too. Amazing, guys. Shout out to all the veterans. And Billy, I know it's Friday and we're not going to be able to talk conspiracies today. But first of all, I want to say thank you for making time for us. And how are you feeling, my friend? Blessed, man. It's always good to be on with you guys. I love chicken with you guys and spending time with you. But when I get to come on on Fridays and I see famous people on here, I'm like star studying. I'm like, oh, my God, who we got on today, bro? The show is growing so much and, and the level of people that are coming on is just astronomical. So anytime I get to be, in, be on here and spend time with you guys, it's a blessing. Amazing. Thank you so much, Billy. And Ellie, I'm getting word right now that I may have pronounced your last name incorrectly. So feel free to correct me so I don't do it wrong the whole show. But first of all, thank you for making time for us this morning. And how are you feeling? Of course, of course. Uh, no problem at all. People get it wrong all the time. It's actually Tarot. So it's Ferret with a T is what I tell people. Um, not Tourette, but you know, I'll I'll give you a pass on that one as well. Um, but I'm feeling great. I'm feeling great. And uh, looking forward to discussing all these great topics with you guys. And Looking forward to, it's my first appearance um, on your show, so very much looking forward to the discussion, and yeah, let's kick it off. Hopefully the first of many, Ellie, and I want to say my first name is Abdullah, so I can sympathize with you with people pronouncing your name incorrectly. <laughs> We're going to get this show started the same way we always do, by showing you our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That's at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. We're at 4,200 followers, 42, or 4,200 followers. Go smash that follow button. We love talking to you. The Bitcoin fear and greed index is in neutral fear this morning, Johnny Crypto, sitting at a 49. And when we check out the daily movers, it's green across the board this morning. We've got Casper up about 5%, AGIX up about 9%, and the rest up about 5% across the board. When we look at the total coin market cap this morning, we are sitting at $1.11 in total coin market cap. 
Bitcoin is 46% dominance. Ethereum is about 19%. We've got Bitcoin sitting at 26,800. Ethereum, 1,800. XRP is 46 cents. Cardano is 36. And we'll scroll down to one of our favorites, Quant Network, back below 100, sitting at 99. And Johnny, before we begin our interview with Ellie, I'd love to just kick it to you. What are some of the projects that you're watching? And how do you feel about Quant Networks being back below $100? Well, like I said, I've been waiting for that for that somebody to get down in the 60 to 80 range. So I'm just sitting, I'm just waiting. I got the truck in reverse, ready to back it up when it happens. But we still got a little more time, I think, Abs. And, you know, for me, I'm kind of looking more in the gaming space, the gaming play. I think kids are going to want to play, you know, earn, play games to make money. So for me, I kind of like that space as well. And I got my eyes on some of those things. So, yeah, I'm staying away from the Pepe's and all the crazy meme coins. I like things that have real world use case um solve solvability and i think things like you know xrp xlm and the iso coins those kinds of things apps always keep an eye on those as well and we're going to be discussing discussing a lot of that today johnny but before we do we got 189 live listeners joining us show us some love smash that like button ellie i want to say thank you for being here we're going to start this show off with an interesting video that was circulating on twitter this week as brad garlinghouse was making some bold claims about when this ripple versus sec lawsuit could see a resolution Right. I, I feel very confident that we'll, we'll see a decision from the courts in this year. In fact, uh, I think I would guess it'll be in weeks, not months. Uh, there's some decisions that happened last week uh, that you may have read about that the, the judge uh, ruled against the SEC's effort to uh, redact certain information about uh, a, a very kind of infamous speech that the then director of corporate finance, a guy named Bill Hinman, gave talking about uh, why ETH was not a security. And we're going to be discussing that, Ellie, throughout the show today. But what I do want to focus on in that clip is he made a bold prediction about this lawsuit being done in weeks, not months. And somebody, anybody who follows XRP and anybody who follows you on Twitter knows that you're known for breaking stories. So maybe you can tell our listeners, is there anything happening behind the scenes that would lead you to believe we could see a resolution before the end of July? Well, not necessarily happening behind the scenes and that I know anything about, but, you know, we were expecting and from Stuart Alderati, the uh, Ripple's GC, he did say a few months ago that we would probably see a resolution by the end of March. Right. And everybody was geared up and fired up for that. Uh, it, you know, ran into April. And we still haven't seen anything. Um, but Jeremy Hogan, Jeremy Hogan did make a good point on Twitter yesterday. He said that the judge tends to and he said it's not certain, but it's a pattern. She makes rulings pretty much every nine weeks. So, you know, we had the March, uh, what was the last one we had? It was May. May 16th. This past week, right? Oh yeah, last week, May 16th. So if you're thinking in terms of, you know, if if that really is a pattern or not, I guess we'll see. But if you go nine weeks out from May, we're looking at July. And that that is what he said in the tweet that comes out to mid-July. So not a prediction, just a pattern. It's an interesting pattern. Um, so, and it kind of ties in with what Brad said, right? He said, you know, weeks, not months. And, uh, and, you know, we're coming up on June pretty soon. So, and it's always dangerous playing the timeline game, right, Ellie? So I want to kick it back to you for a second question. We're not going to hold anybody accountable when it comes to picking dates for a resolution on this lawsuit. But what does get me excited is that we learned this at XRP Las Vegas on September 30th, judge Torres is going to be forced to go and approach Congress if she doesn't make a decision on this case. So whether we get it in July or we get it in September, I'd love to just hear, what are you anticipating when it comes to a ruling from this lawsuit? And are you anticipating the institutional adoption that many investors are are basically predicting will take place? So I'm hopeful that there will be finally some clarity once we get the summary judgment ruling. I think that's the big thing that everybody wants is 
what is XRP? Is it a security? And you know, is is Ethereum a security? Is Bitcoin a security? We we, we need that clarity that says from a judge, from a court, right? That you know, a digital asset is X. And I think that we'll get that with summary judgment. Will we necessarily see you know an outright win for Ripple? Or the SEC? I don't think so. I think it's probably going to go. Parts of it are going to go to a jury trial. I think there's kind of consensus on that between like lawyers. John Deaton, Jeremy Hogan has said pretty much the same thing that we will see that parts of it will go to trial. Hopefully, there'll be clarity on the secondary market sales. So those investors who bought XRP six and seven years ago and had never heard of Ripple before can you know stop feeling so you know targeted. And uh, and I think. The biggest thing will be will be the clarity that we get from from the judge's ruling, and hopefully, it'll be sooner rather than later. And Johnny, what everyone seems to be discussing this week is the fact that the Hinman emails are set to be released. And what Brad Garlinghouse said in that video is that the SEC has been putting politics over policy when it comes to crypto regulation. So before we play the remainder of that clip, what stuck out to you, Johnny? Well, what stuck out to me was the the the, the interviewer's response when Brad said weeks. She was like, oh, kind of caught her by surprise. <laughs> so obviously there was something coming. But Abs, if you go back and you remember back in January, Brad came out and said, we're months away, not years away. And now last week or this week, he's coming out and he's saying we're weeks away, you know, not months away. So obviously he, you know, he's got his finger on the pulse. He's got connections to the case. His attorneys, you know, he spent $200 million on this thing. I'm sure he's got little ears on the ground and has a little bit of feel what's going on and what the sentiment is. I mean, obviously, nobody knows what the judge is thinking. She's under a tremendous amount of pressure because her decision could, depending, remember, we talk about there's three levels of a decision here, right? If we get a settlement, that's just going to kind of lay the law what it means for Ripple and nobody else. But if the judge makes a decision, that sets a little level of precedent. And if we go to the appellate court, as, as Jeremy Hogan said, then you've kind of got some real, real clarity on what's happening here. So, you know, my guess is Brad has a little sense of what's happening. And plus, the judge got that September date hanging over her head. Unless she wants to go in front of Congress, she has to make a decision. So we're almost, I would guess, I would love to know her. This would be something interesting to find out. It'd be interesting to know if that judge has ever let a case go so far as to have to go in front of Congress. Because if she hasn't, then my guess is she ain't going to let this one happen either. And we're probably going to get a ruling sometime between now and September. Ellie, I'd love to connect that with this article of your friend, I guess, Charlie Gasparino. Yesterday, he put out an interesting video about how Gary Gensler's second tirade on crypto exchanges in America could just be beginning. And what Brad Garlinghouse has said is that while Ripple's battle with the SEC is coming to a close, the rest of the industry is only beginning their journey with the SEC. So I'd love to hear your opinion. And when you and Charlie are talking behind the scenes, what are you anticipating when you talk about a second tirade of uh, lawsuits on crypto exchanges? Well, I think we're going to see more of the same of what we saw back in March, right? When we saw Gary Gensler come down, it was, I tweeted it. I've got the tweet pinned to my profile and I, <laughs> it was my most viewed tweet ever, I guess. I think it was something like 1.2 million views, but it was uh, how Gary Gensler is basically embarking on this midnight massacre, right? And he's going to bring all of crypto under his control. And, and we saw a lot of that when he brought the cases against, um, uh, well, I mean, it was pretty much everybody, wasn't it? I'm like struggling for names. What, who, who was like the big one that he brought it against? It was... Um, Wait, are you asking about crypto tokens or exchanges? Exchanges. Uh, well, oh, Kraken. Kraken. The Wells notice as well. And then Kraken had that $30 million settlement because they that couldn't find it. one form. Gary Gensler claimed they couldn't find a single form on the SEC's website. So I thought That's that was... It. It. And then uh, and Paxos as well. Paxos was uh, was targeted. So we kind of saw that like deluge, right, of of cases. And I think... It's been pretty quiet at the SEC on the crypto front in the last, I'd say, you know, weeks to, to you know, a month or so. So I wouldn't be surprised if 
we see more of that. I think, you know, Gary Gensler hasn't changed his stance on anything. You saw him go up in front of Congress and basically say, you know, uh, we're doing this, we're doing, you know, what we believe what we're doing is right. Um, you know, he said it multiple times that he believes most tokens are securities with the exception of Bitcoin. So, you know, I do think that they'll continue on that until we get some kind of law or, or clarity, hopefully from the courts, but then Congress as well. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised, but I do know that the closed meeting yesterday, uh, a source of mine told me that there were no crypto enforcement cases that were you know, decided on in that closed meeting yesterday. So there was a lot of a lot of cases, but nothing to do with crypto. So hopefully, you know, we won't see anything too soon, but I wouldn't be surprised if he does come out against more exchanges and more uh, leaders in the space, more more companies, more tokens. One of our friends who has a popular crypto channel is called Tony Edward. His channel is called Thinking Crypto. And what he's highlighted for several months now is this thing or this concept called Operation Choke Point, where the reason that Gary Gensler and SEC officials feel so confident in coming in and regulating cryptocurrency is because they've been given the authority by people much higher up in government, even as high as the president of the United States. So I'm not sure if that's something you can elaborate on. Is that really what we're witnessing or do you think inevitably big banks do end up adopting this technology in the U.S. and everything is just kind of a battleground until then? Yes, I think adoption will come. I think we're going to see more of it. I do think right now it's and you see kind of there is a divide with crypto, right? You see you see sort of between Republicans and Democrats, but also the the older generation versus the younger generation, right? You see the younger senators and congressmen kind of you know being more on board with it, whereas the, the older uh, incumbents like the Elizabeth Warrens of the world are and the Brad Shermans just don't understand the technology to the point where they, you know, they've had banks all their lives, right? So they're reliant on basically what they know, the TradFi space. So I do think that there's resistance there. And until we get some kind of change, some kind of, you know, pro-crypto candidates in the 2024 election, um, in the midterm, uh, in the midterm elections as well, I think we won't see, you know, that choke point necessarily uh, let up. I do think that it's it's inevitable. I mean, crypto is here to stay, right? That's that's pretty much the consensus, I think, at this point. Um, blockchain technology. I do. I'm seeing with Fed now, right? The banks are kind of cottoning on to this this notion that they need to fix this financial system because it's a mess. We saw three banks collapse. We saw, you know, payments. The settlement system is is not great, right? It takes forever to send money, and you see that with Fed now, right? They're they're hopping on board, so they see the value. I think it's just there's resistance, and I think people are frightened of what they don't know. Johnny, I'd like to get some comments from you as well, because she highlighted how Fed now is set to launch at least the rumor was in early June. Now it turns out to be July. But what we're witnessing right now is the Federal Reserve is about to use digital currencies and the transfer of digital assets as a solution to the liquidity crisis we're seeing today. There was an interesting video circulating on Twitter yesterday where if you put five hundred dollars into a European bank, doesn't matter if you put five hundred, half a million, ten million dollars, the maximum amount you can withdraw from that point forward is $250. So regardless of how big the number is on your screen, the Ponzi scheme doesn't allow you to take your money out. And that seems to be one of my biggest concerns. How do you feel about July and the launch of Fed now? Well, that's how you keep a Ponzi scheme going. You make sure you got more money going in than less money coming out. And it could actually survive a lot longer. But Abs, I think the reality is we know that we're moving into a new system a quantum financial system right we know we're moving into that digital space and i think the fed now is just step one in terms of moving people closer and closer to a cbdc we know it's coming we know the goods and bads about it. we talk about it all the time in the show um so i'm not going to hop into those things but you know i just want to go back to something ellie said where she talked about the sec coming after kraken 
only if Kraken had filled out that little, like Gary said, just fill out the form online. Come on in. We're willing to work with you. And what happens? Pow! You get slapped with a lawsuit whenever you go in and work with them. So, you know, hopefully we'll finally, you know, as we've been saying, we know orders are coming down from the top. We need to change at the top. And I think we're going to then see. I think we're, and nobody's going to believe it. I know I'm going to sound crazy, but we will see a different type of Gary Gensler if the orders at the top are, hey, instead of choking it out, we want you to unchoke it. I think you'll see the the flourishing and the growth and adoption of crypto. And that's really what we need. And I think the reality is we're just here so early, Abs. The industry as a whole, whenever any new technology grows, it takes time for all the pieces to come together. And once everybody has their positions in place, I think they're going to unlock this thing. Ellie's right. Crypto's here to stay, but not everybody has put themselves in the right position yet before they're ready for, to let it take off. But I think that's coming in the next few years. Elian, there's a bunch of exciting news on the, on the horizon for this sector going forward. But one of the things that seems to be clear is that Ripple is involved in the global agenda to move towards digital assets. They're working with some of the largest organizations on the planet. And today we had a new report released out of the World Economic Forum stating how they can correctly regulate cryptocurrency to create a friendly global environment. But before we get into that, we've got 322 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And thank you for being here on this Friday. Ellie, I wanted to go back to just close out our conversation on the regulate, uh, regulation of crypto exchanges. The reason we think Gary Gensler is going after crypto exchanges is because that's the easiest way to regulate crypto assets within the United States. We saw an example of it with the SEC and their Wells notice where they claimed that Algorand was an unregistered security. Well, we got a great response from that company this week as they said, even if the SEC claims Algorand's a security, they're going to be hesitant to pull it off of their exchange. I got two questions for you there. Why do you think the SEC is going after all these exchanges. Obviously, that's my first question. But the second is, why do you think that they're not willing to pull currencies like Algorand, but we're so willing to pull XRP off of their exchange? Well, I think it's all just about control, right? I mean, the SEC is is dying for control over this industry. And there's, there's this turf war of sorts between the SEC and the CFTC over who should regulate this thing. 100% agree. <laughs> I love that. Um, so I do think it's, you know, it's, it's Gary Gensler saying, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to control this space. I'm going to make my name. Charlie and I, a few months ago, I would say it was last year, actually, we wrote a story actually about how Gary Gensler has aspirations to be treasury secretary, treasury secretary um, to replace Janet Yellen. So we do know that Yellen, you know, she's not going to last forever. She's probably going to be out within the next year or so. Is it going to be Gary Gensler? Likely not. It's probably going to be uh, uh, Gina Raimondo, the commerce secretary, but I'm going off on a tangent now, but what I'm what I'm trying to say is Gary Gensler is trying to make his mark, right? And if he can't do it as Treasury Secretary, he wants to do it as the guy who headed the SEC when they cracked down on crypto, and he wants to put his name on it. So I do think that's that's a big reason behind you see him going after exchanges like Coinbase, um, like Kraken, to really make that mark, right? And to kind of set an example um, with the tokens. You know, it, it, the XR the Ripple case was brought. December 2020, right? So it was under Clayton. Um, so I do think that it was obviously a different administration. Um, Clayton, I I don't know if he had the same views as Gensler on the token front. You know, was does he think that everything is a security or not? Same same way as Gensler. I don't know that he thought that. I think there was a lot of uncertainty. You know, that's why Hinman tried to give that speech, right? You know, what is Bitcoin? What is Ether? Um, I think. XRP was the number three at the time, right? It was the number three largest cryptocurrency. So why was it left out? And why was the SEC so eager to go after Ripple and XRP? You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of theories out there. I think a lot of people think that it was pur purposefully done, purposefully done. Um, 
But now you see Gary Gensler just basically saying everything's the security except for Bitcoin. So that makes Bitcoin maxis pretty happy, right? I mean, they're the only ones that, that Gary Gensler has kind of given that blessing to. And one of the things that we've continued to notice from Gary Gensler is, I guess you would call it agenda, is there's no consistency in the projects he's going after. Earlier this week, we pulled up a list of all the uh, cryptocurrency projects the SEC considers to be unregistered securities. There's no consistency. There's tokenized real estate. There's utility tokens. There's smart contracts. There's stores of value. So the fact that they're painting with such a broad brush and he refers to, I believe it was a 1934 act. He said, Congress painted with a broad brush when they created the SEC. Forget about the internet. You think they were considering digital assets during that time? Seems a little bit irrational out of the chairman of the SEC. But I wanted to just read this quote uh, and then kick it back to you, Ellie. As in 2018, this is exactly what William Hinman said that gave the Ethereum Foundation such confidence going forward. Putting aside the fundraising and the uh, accompanied creation of Ether, based on my understanding of the present state of Ether, the Ethereum network and its decentralized structure, current offers and sales of Ether are not securities transactions and that's some very strong words. Now, what the SEC was trying to do here is claim that this was only a personal opinion of one SEC official. But what's coming out through the Ripple lawsuit is that there were 63 internal drafts creating this. And about 55 of them were, were in reference to William Hinman himself. So it's some pretty interesting stuff. I'd just like to hear some broad statements. What do you think about everything I just laid out? Yeah, so I had an interview with John Deaton last Sunday. And he made a good point where he said, you know, I don't even think that, you know, Biden makes speeches all the time, right? And I don't think he's ever had 63 drafts of a speech, maybe one or two. So when the SEC comes out and says, oh, it was a personal opinion, then why was so much work put into that speech? And why was there so much input from different departments? So you got to kind of wonder, was it intentionally done to give some clarity to the market? Because we saw the prices jump, right? You know, you can look up anything on, on Google relating to Hinman Gibbs speech that clears Ethereum and Bitcoin. And, and those those prices jumped because they said, OK, wow, well, you know, we've kind of got this this blessing here. Um, so I think that's interesting. And, and also like, you know, Ripple, like you said, is as everything's starting to come out now, what we'll see with these him and documents when we finally do get to see them, we're going to see just how much Ripple may or may not or XRP may or may not have been discussed uh, in those in those talks when those when that speech was being put together, because like I said, XRP was the number three cryptocurrency. and how is it any different than, than Ethereum? You know, like why, why couldn't they say, you know, XRP once was, you know, maybe a security in its early days. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, it's, it's sufficiently decentralized enough now to, to have the same status as, as Ether, right? Because XRP was, you know, that's started back in like 20, you know, like it was like 20, like 11. That was when it was created, 2011, yeah. 2012. And you can even trace it back to OpenCoin, which was 2004. Yeah. So, you know, it's got it's a it's a legacy coin and a legacy, you know, company. So so why why target Ripple specifically? I think, you know, we're going to get to see the internal thinking behind you know, what motivated them to give that speech. And I think the key thing will be just how much XRP was discussed and what people thought about it, because we know Joseph Grunfest, who was the you know former SEC official, basically said he wrote a letter saying if you have if you classify Ether is a non-security, then you have to do the same for XRP because they're fundamentally the same, you know, pretty much the same thing. So it'll be interesting to see when those documents come out, what everyone's opinion was. And, and was there an overwhelming amount of people saying, you know, should you should include XRP? And I think there's going to cause confusion if you don't. And it's going to be very telling when we when we see those internal documents finally. And so just to clarify, what do you believe could be some of the repercussions? Let's say it is clear that there was, I guess, a regulatory agenda here. What do you think could happen to some of the SEC officials who participated in that? 
Well, I think we're going to get to see, you know, is there going to be any repercussions like on a legal standpoint? I, I highly doubt it because a lot of those people are now not at the SEC anymore. Uh, will there be, you know, investigations into whether there was any ethics involved in this? The ethics office, were they, you know, notified? Were they telling Bill Hinman that they, you know, they should probably, you know, not do this as you are, uh, you continue to work for Simpson Thatcher and uh, and, you, and you're giving the speech and, and the whole Enterprise Ethereum Alliance will, you know, I think we'll get to see more of that in the documents as well, hopefully. Um, you know, I think there'll just be a lot of people in this in the space want clarity, right? They want they want to see, you know, what went into the speech. I think we're going to get to see, you know, the thinking behind all of it. And it's going to be very telling whether, you know, there's any legal repercussions, like I said, I'm not sure, but, but I think there'll be um, a lot of people will get to see finally what what the motivation was and why this was brought. One last detail here is that after William Hinman left the SEC on December 4th of 2020, I believe, he went in and had a separate meeting six days after his resignation that was part of Ripple Labs. And then little did we know, less than a week later, they would end up being sued by the SEC. So the timeline here, it's very interesting. And we like to say we don't believe in coincidences, just unrecognized patterns. So Johnny, I'd love to give you a chance to close this out on this segment and then we'll continue. Well, Abs, you know, on this show, we always like to uh, address questions from our audience. And Ellie, there's one here that I think is really important. And maybe you have the inside scoop here. But do you have any idea what steakhouse Charlie's going to have to be buying John Deaton? <laughs> any idea where this might be going down? Uh, I don't know. So maybe Del Frisco's. We have Del Frisco's right next to our Ooh, Fox yeah. building. So that's that's an option. Um yeah, I guess it's it's really we'll have to ask John what kind of steak he likes and you know what's his favorite steakhouse in the city. Charlie's been to pretty much every restaurant in the city, I'm pretty sure. So he could tell you where to get a good steak, but we'll uh, we'll ask John what his what his preference will be when he finally Ellie, maybe for our for our fans who don't know, maybe you could elaborate a little bit on what this steak bet is that's going on between John and Charlie. Oh, well, it's just that, you know, I think Charlie and John that they've disagreed on things before, right? Like Charlie has his opinions, John John has his opinions, but they're they can sit down and have a steak dinner at the end of the day. They're still friends. And I think that that's, that's just kind of the running joke, right? Like Charlie can, you know, have his, his viewpoints and John can have his, but, but we'll still, we'll still sit down and have a steak together. And it's just, you know, kind of just shows. And we see a lot of that in the crypto industry too, right? It's just like people constantly, you know, going after each other and this, this kind of tribalism that we see in the space, right? Just going after each other for, you know, having different viewpoints. And now, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it's great. At the end of the day, we can still be friends. We can disagree, but we can have a steak together and at six o'clock, you know? <laughs> you know, Ellie, that's actually the the fundamentals of America, right? Which was uh, you were able to have a conversation with people and at the end of the day, you know, still be able to go out to dinner together, go have a good time together. And now it just feels like we're so divided that, oh, my God, if you disagree with somebody, you get put in a bucket and nobody wants to talk to you and blow that guy away. And that's really one of the fundamentals we lost of America that hopefully we can we can bring that back. But I know I digressed a bit there, Abs. But the reason why I'm saying it is because I think the crypto industry needs to do the same thing. We need to see, you know, Ripple and Coinbase and Binance all coming together. And working together because, you know, we know that there's a whole fashion of anti-crypto. And then the real question is, you know, where are these crypto, you know, industry? we need the crypto industry to come together as a whole, I think. Put set their own individualism or, or differences aside and come together and realize that there's a common, I don't want to say enemy, but there's a common, you know, uh, force out there that I think if they come together, there's a better chance of, I think, crypto landing in a better place and better regulation, more importantly, in the long run. 
Ellie, one last thing I'd like to close out this segment on is people are asking about the Fed now launch in July. And one of the conspiracies around the community is that the Federal Reserve is actually shutting down competition and the Ripple lawsuit is a subset of that. How do you feel about that theory in general? And then I'd love to break down this World Economic Forum article. I think there was a lot of confusion in the beginning. I thought a lot, a lot of people thought that this Fed now launch was going to be kind of, uh, it was going to be a CBDC, right? I think a lot of people thought that that's where this was going. I do think it's probably the first step towards a CBDC. So like I said earlier, like having that complete control, like the government wants, you know, they, crypto is basically financial freedom, right? For the people. So why would they, you know, be on board with that, giving up control to, to the people they govern? So I think, you know, that is the first step in what we're seeing here. Um, and, you know, just kind of goes back to what we were talking about with like Operation Choke Point, um, just all coming full circle, I think. And one last thing is that the World Economic Forum is clearly a body that's much outside of the United States. There are some Americans in here, but it's mostly a global conglomerate. And what we were discussing yesterday is we're seeing America become segregated when it comes to financial policy. Ron DeSantis came out and said that Florida would be banning central bank digital currencies. And Texas had some similar policy followed last week. I'd like to hear your opinion on the segregation of financial policy. Where do you think that leads us? If, if let's say, Boston and New York and California adopt a central bank digital currency and we have some, I guess, red states that would be anti that technology, where do you think that leads us? Because we had a great debate yesterday. Yeah, I think you've seen Ron DeSantis come out against the CBDCs quite hard. I think there's you know, a decent reason behind that. You know, the If you see what's happening in China with the digital yuan, they basically launched a pilot program that said, you know, you can opt into this if you want. And now it was kind of like now everybody kind of has to do this digital dollar thing. So it was almost like forcing it on the people. And I think a lot of people in the U.S. are worried that like a CBDC might uh, maybe even like a pilot program might end up, you know, with the same repercussions that we've seen with China. I think it all goes back to like the control aspect of, as well and like the surveillance, you know, typically, you know, no one likes to be surveilled by the government. Right. But that's mostly a, a Republican talking point. It's kind of like that that surveillance is not good and people need to be like financially free. And <clears throat> there's no like, you know, government should not be as involved in everyone's everyday lives as as they typically are. So I think, you know, we've seen a lot of debate over it. Do I think it's going to happen regardless? Most likely. Um, I think it's going to you know be a big talking point in the 2024 election. You'll see much more talk about, you know, crypto will be a much bigger talking point because of the CBDC issue, I think. And, you know, just building on that, Ellie's right. We saw Ron DeSantis come out and made it a talking point. He came and literally said on for Bitcoin that he feels the current administration is, you know, is is, is worried about uh, the competition that Bitcoin gives to the current financial system, whereas he would be more open to letting, you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency grow. So I do think that, you know, you are going to see there's what, 40 percent of Americans now almost that are into the crypto space. So that's a big number. That's that's significant enough now where you might be able to harness some voters by making that a talking point. And I'm happy to hear Ellie say she believes that's going to be, because that's one of the things we were wondering, how big of a talking point will crypto be? Well, I guess we're going to find out, but Ron's already started it. Absolutely, Johnny. And I'm looking forward to getting into this article right now as the World Economic Forum thinks it knows how to fix crypto policy. And I'm going to add this in, create a friendly environment for cryptocurrencies going forward. The World Economic Forum has taken a stab at presenting solutions to global crypto policy, which it warns is too patchwork to properly protect markets and investors. The World Economic Forum targeted its recommendations at three major stakeholder categories, international organizations, regional or national regulators, and the industry as a whole. Some of the main objectives in this article were six main things they want regulators to focus on. They said that they need to establish best practices for crypto, harmonize the terminology and definitions, foster cross-sector coordination among regulators, 
coordinate efforts to establish interoperable technical standards, share best practices for addressing operational and cybersecurity risks, and to innovate responsibly and engage with policymakers and regulators within the industry. So before we even get into the details beyond that, Ellie, what I'd love to ask you is, do you trust regulators who do not have an American agenda? Well, I think with the World Economic Forum, right, it's 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 more of a, you know, it's from a global standpoint, but I think there's positive in this because, you know, it's it's setting a it's kind of setting a, a narrative up, right, for for positive crypto talk and positive uh, suggestions around regulation. And I think right now we do really need that. And I think the, the world looks at the U.S., right, especially the U.K., they kind of look at the U.S. and they're like, why is there so much kind of hostility towards the space and, and why can't they get seem to get like a regulatory framework? Why can't they kind of get this done? I think, you know, the world is looking at the U.S. and saying this is a great industry. It's proven. We've you know, it's, it exists elsewhere. Um, it, it can be done. And I think it's this is this is positive because it's going to you know, people will look at this. Maybe hopefully regulators will look at it and say, all right, these are these are good suggestions. And I think that's what they are. Obviously, their suggestions. Will it you know, they necessarily act on it? I don't know. But, you know, it's, it's definitely a positive thing. I see it as just because, you know, it's there's so much negativity around it in the U.S. But when it comes from someone like the the World Economic Forum, it's kind of like, OK, well, well, there's this global view and and it's working for others. So why can't it work for us? And Johnny, they use the words this should be encouraged when referencing decentralized currencies going forward. But I think what everyone should focus on is the bottom line of this article where the World Economic Forum is warning about the centralization of the Ethereum network. But before we get into that, what are some of your thoughts on the initial article saying that cryptocurrencies and decentralization should be encouraged to save finance? I mean, to be honest with you, Abs, I couldn't agree with Ellie more. This is exactly what you want to be hearing because the reality is, whether you like it or not, a lot of things that the WF talks about usually happen. And so if the WF, the World Economic Forum, is literally saying, hey, guys, you know, this is happening. They're basically giving the positive figures, Pedro Losando. They're giving it their blessing <laughs> to say, hey, let's go make this happen. We actually... And I know a lot of people are going to bash me for saying this, but we, and I don't, you know, but the reality is we want to see crypto as it, as we want to see crypto get the green light. And so it's got to start somewhere. And if you, and I know nobody wants to see it happening at the WF, but the reality is, listen, guys, it's going to start somewhere. So the reality is let it start. Now the question is going to be to keep an eye on what kind of regulation do we get and how decentralized do they allow it? If they truly mean what they say and they're going to let it get out there and they're going to let it be, regulated but decentralized then that's actually a really good thing because that's going to spawn innovation and more importantly sooner or later the u.s is going to have to follow there's no question we know already the u.s has decided to be a follower in the space and not a leader which is completely abnormal for the u.s because we are the innovators of the world and and so but i do think what you're going to see is this is actually the very first step in the direction of finally seeing adoption come through it's going to start globally and then pour into the u.s we're going to have to keep an eye on to see it. But I actually agree with Ellie. I think this is good news. Because let me tell you, if that whole document came out and those were all steps against how to kill crypto, nobody would be happy today. So I'd much rather see it in a positive direction than a negative direction, even if it is coming out of the WEF. Billy, I'd love to get some thoughts from you as well. I think that the, the lack of people wanting to do crypto, especially on this side of the world and this side of the pond, is the lack. Well, there's too much transparency for them. You can see the moves they make. You can see... Uh, you know, the correlation in laws versus regulations and, and money trails. So I think that's the biggest issue on our side. And I think the people that's pushing that is, you know, more on the left side. But that that's my biggest issue with crypto, because if you really look at it, it solves so many issues between, you know, the liquidity back and forth, the instant payment plan, uh, the, being able to get percentage gains on your money when it's sitting there. 
if you could see everything that the government has done on the backside, could you imagine being able to see Nancy Pelosi's trades on a regular basis when she makes them? Uh, could you imagine seeing, you know, um, Elizabeth Warren stuff, you know, on a constant basis and seeing everybody who sits on these committees versus their trades versus the regulations and laws they put in place? It's too much transparency for them. And Billy, another thing that catches my attention here is, Ellie, in your previous speech, you talked about central bank digital currencies and how they're not going to allow any technology to be adopted unless it's beneficial to them. So while the World Economic Forum is sitting here promoting decentralization, my brain is trying to wrap my head around, why would the World Economic Forum give power back to the people? Well, I think, like I said before, I think they, you know, they've they've seen the benefits of this technology abroad in different places other than the United States. And I think that they are just trying to say, hey, like this works and you should probably, you know, get on board before it's too late. Like you said, Johnny, the U.S. is is totally a follower in this space at this point. It's not going to be a leader. And, you know, unless something changes very, very soon and we wake up and realize, oh, wow, like we are really behind and we should probably start innovating and catching up to to the likes of, you know, China's innovation, you know, I mean, no one, nobody, nobody wants the U.S. to be China, but, you know, like they, they are, you know, further ahead in this, in this game than we are. And like you said, it's very weird for the U.S. to be like that, right? Because we are the, the world's innovators. So, so what gives? It's very unusual. And they actually cite China's adoption down here at the bottom of this article. And it's not what you would think as they are saying, saying that some of the most crypto friendly environments in the United States are the ones most familiar with arbitrage and manipulation of the banking system. So what they're trying to do here is create a clear set of rules so people in China and people in other friendly regulatory environments can stop taking advantage of crypto technology. And when you listen to some of the wording that's in here, they use very interesting words like attack, damning. They try to use these power, these triggering words when you talk about crypto in particular. I'm going to read a quick quote and then kick it back to you. The World Economic Forum also cited that Ethereum's dominance as a potential risk there are several decentralized applications powering the crypto asset ecosystem, but the underlying technology is dominated by Ethereum, one of the most decentralized blockchains. And for anyone who doesn't know, Consensus owns about 70% of the circulating Ethereum. So Ethereum is in a really weird place right now. Ellie, I'd love to hear what you're anticipating. I mean, that's interesting, right? It's interesting that they would go so specific and, and mention Ethereum. It kind of like, it gives me like, you know, vibes, like Hinman vibes. Like he went, you know, specifically noted Bitcoin and Ethereum in his speech and now, uh, but in a positive way. And then now the WEF is saying, you know, Ethereum could potentially be, you know, a risk because it is so, you know, the technology is so concentrated on on this specific blockchain. Um, I do think it's interesting. Uh, I don't know. I'd like to get Johnny's thoughts on this. You know, Abs, one of those things when you look at, when you, when you look at, um, we always talk about, here, let me grab it. Here's my sheet right here, WWE, right? We're playing both sides of it here. And so there's a lot of confusion out there. So when you think about what they're, where they're doing, they almost kind of give you both sides of the coin here. Like, hey, we want to promote this, this technology and we want it to be along the lines of a uh, decentralized, but then they come out and attack Attack is one of the most decentralized. So it does make you wonder what which side of the coin they are going to play. My fear is here you're going to see them come out. And here's what I think is happening. So they're going to come out and they're going to say, uh, hey, yeah, this is great. We want this to happen. It's decentralized. But the reality is if it's decentralized, you lose control. And we know the one thing they're all about is not giving up control. So you, you're right now you're seeing them talk out of both sides of their mouth. And the real interesting thing is going to be if I were a betting man, there ain't no way they're in a Chinese chance in China that they're going to let this thing get put out there without them having some level of control in it. So whatever ends up getting released, whatever ends up getting put out there, those rules in place apps are going to be 
um, is going to be things they can do so they position themselves so they're in control of this system. And it might be decentralized, but remember, even a decentralized entity, if you own enough of the nodes or enough of the servers, it's not necessarily decentralized. So, Ellie, I think that's what's happening here is uh, they're calling out, you know, calling this out. But I think at the end of the day, they're calling out the risk, but I think they're going to find a way to end up owning most of that decentralization, if I had a bet. Spot on, Johnny. And what I'd love to connect this to going forward is what are CBDCs going to help, I guess, control mechanisms do? And we're going to show you a video out of the CEO of BlackRock, Larry Fink, discussing how environmental and social governance can help guide people to make smarter decisions. This is a 10-second clip here. We're going back to the group. Here we go. Well, behaviors are going to have to change. And this is one thing we're, we're asking companies. Uh, you have to force behaviors. And at BlackRock, we are forcing behaviors well, behaviors are going to happen. And so, Ellie, I think that's one of big, people's biggest concerns when it comes to central bank digital currencies is guys like Larry Fink and other billionaires can sit in a dark room around a circle table and decide what people like Billy and Johnny and I guess myself should be doing. And then if we don't comply, well, then we can be hurt financially. I know that during the t- crisis of 2020, they were shutting down certain Twitter accounts. I can only imagine if they had access to funds, certain people's funds would have been cut off at that time, or there at least would have been politicians pushing for that. So do you have a rebuttal to people's biggest concern that guys like Larry Fink are going to decide what's normal going forward? I think it's definitely a risk. I mean, you, you, you see that what he just said, right? He said, you know, we force behaviors. That's not very encouraging to people, you know, the everyday average people who aren't the Larry Finks and aren't the, you know, the billionaires of the world, people who don't really have a say. And I think, yeah, that's, that's scary to people. I mean, that's scary to me. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but, but yeah, I think it's a real, you know, a real concern. I, and going back to what Johnny said, you know, with the control thing, it's like, you know, they're, they're not going to let this thing get so out of, you know, kind of like grow out of their jurisdiction where they don't have any say anymore in, in you know, what they've had a say in since, you know, the beginning of, of government, right? So um, I do think that's a concern, you know, with the CBDC, CBDC stuff, you know, again, all about control, right? So, so um, there's great points on both sides. I think, you know, that is, that is scary though. I don't know. I, <laughs> I've met Larry actually a few times. He's come on the business network with us, um, with Charlie, uh, super nice guy, but that is a scary, scary thought. <laughs> it definitely is a scary thought. And I want to paint a broader picture here about how Ripple is constantly involved in these conversations, but we got 352 live listeners joining us. Show us some love, smash that like button. And thank you again for Eleanor for making time for us this morning. Another great revealing. It's Ellie, by the way, just for oh, I keep messing that up. Sorry. It's all right. I'd right, Ellie. It is my name. It is my name. It's okay. (laughs) One of the biggest things out of this report is that Ripple was involved in reviewing these documents before they were released. And it ties perfectly into an article that we've been highlighting throughout the week as Ripple launched their central bank digital currency platform, but is currently working with over 20 countries in implementing a central bank digital currency. So we often say, how do you identify successful companies during a bear market? You look at mergers, you look at acquisitions. Well, Ripple's got that box checked. And here they are working with some of the most powerful regulators on the planet. How do you feel about the narrative? We're anti-CBDC, but we are pro-XRP. We do see this coming. So what do you think about those narratives and how they're conflicting but seem to go together? Yeah, I also think just before I get into that, I think this is a good thing for for Ripple as well, right? You see, you say, what's a good indicator of a company, you know, in a bear market, right? But I'd say hiring as well. Ripple's always been big on the hiring front. There's always announcements on Twitter. I see, you know, like we're hiring X, Y, and Z and like we're expanding over here and and we're doing new things here. So like they're always innovating, which I think is, you know, a really, really interesting um, thing for a company. So, you know, under scrutiny and, and going through this crazy lawsuit here in the US, right? Like I think Brad Garlinghouse came out and said it was $200 million they've spent now on this lawsuit. And, uh, you know, that 
that is just mind blowing to me. Um, I don't know, Johnny, what do you think? <laughs> well, what's sad about it is not only is it mind blowing, Ellie, what's sad is think about what Ripple could have done if they had that $200 million, they could have invested it in new jobs, putting new you know people to work or new technologies or new acquisitions. And instead it probably went to four or five lawyers to defend a frivolous lawsuit. To me, that is really what I call a lost or cost opportunity that was lost because they had to go and defend something that, you know, when, when the Hinman emails come out, it's going to be pretty obvious what happened. But to me, that is what's really, really sad, Ellie, is that we, who knows what was lost here. We know that they just bought a um, Metaco and I think they spent about how much $250 million to add custody to them. So again, imagine that goes to show you the power, what $200 million could do and what it could have gone to. And instead now, you know, we've lost that opportunity. Very, very sad from that perspective. But Abs, getting to the concept of Ripple and CBDCs and talking about eat good and evil. Remember why we're here. Okay. At the end of the day, we know here. Let me grab this real quick. So, you know, you guys know, I just show all time, right? This is the narrative you're going to be hearing over and over and over again. We've been hearing it constantly. That's going to be bad. This is good. CBDCs are coming. You're going to hear that they're good. We all know the downside of CBDCs, right, Abs? But here's the silver lining in this whole thing. What we want to do, whenever these new, you know, these these technology shifts that happen every hundred years or so in our lifetime, there's an opportunity to invest in the rails of these systems and put yourself and your family in, the, in a position of generational wealth. And ideally, if XRP and 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 the Ripple systems become the 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 foundations, if you will, thank you there, uh, whoever that was. <laughs> but if they become the underlying foundational system, then anybody who's invested in the technology, either as XRP or maybe even Ripple, the company, if you can, you know, if you're an accredited investor and link to it, there's a chance to put yourself in a really, really, really good chance to create generational wealth for your family app. So let's try to look at the positive side of it. We know it's coming, but hey, we know, but most of the people don't go talk to your family and ask them what XRP is. They're going to look at you like you got three horns coming out of your head. They're not going to know what it is yet, right? That's how early we are in the space. But we have a chance here to be in a generational wealth situation. And that's what we try to do here is educate everybody so you can also put yourselves in that position. So, Abs, I try to look at the silver lining of this. And I think, again, make sure you got enough horses in this race. I don't know if it's going to be XRP, XLM, or who's going to win the race. But make sure you got a couple of those horses in your stable. Spot on, Johnny. And I want to close this out with a quick video out of the president of Ripple discussing the impact of the Hinman emails. Here we go. Um, very recently that, uh, that that pertained to, you know, which documents in the case would be kept under seal and which ones would not. Um, very importantly, at least in our view, uh, Bill Hinman's emails will be um, revealed. They'll be made public in the coming weeks. Um, and we think that's significant because uh, Bill Hinman, when he was acting uh, director of Corpfin at the SEC, he gave a very famous speech in 2018 where he, he said that he saw, or the SEC saw, that Ether uh, did not look like a security because it had been sufficiently decentralized. And now we're going to, you know, through the revealing of his emails, we're going to get more insight into what went into that decision. Tell us a little bit more about these Hinman papers. I know we want to get more insight into what went into that decision, but once we get that insight, what could it mean for your case? Uh, it, it, you know, it's it's to be determined, you know, just uh, by the court, of course, what ultimately they will decide in the case. The, the ruling on the Hinman emails, we think, is certainly a win for transparency, uh, you know, where... 
the crypto industry at large is really seeking clarity from the U.S. Uh, we think that this transparency will go a long way. And then ultimately, of course, the ruling in our case. And I do think that's so exciting, Ellie, because while everyone's focused on the outcome for Ripple here, I think it's going to have much broader implications for the rest of the crypto space. And what people are debating right now is could XRP and Ripple find themselves in a situation where there's regulatory framework, I guess I would call it a regulatory framework for their project and other similar projects, but projects like, I guess, Ethereum, let's use Ethereum as an example, they could just beginning be beginning their journey with the SEC. And what I think we're going to see going forward is the difference they draw in staking. I think Gary Gensler is going to go after anybody who participated in Ethereum staking in 2020, but before that, they will get a free pass. So I do find that to be interesting. I'd love for you to just close us out here. What do you think about the him and emails and what I just laid out there? Yeah, and I think like it's like you said, it's going to be and like she said, she made that great point, right? It's going to be a win for you know not just XRP when we when we get these when we get to see these documents, not just Ripple, but also for the industry at large because there are so many projects that kind of like you know aren't you know necessarily doing what Ripple is doing, but they're but they're looking for the same kind of clarity because no one can really act in this space. Nobody knows if they're doing the right thing, if they're doing the wrong thing. I think the point you made about staking is 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 very right. I think Gary Gensler is going to go after anybody who 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 has a platform like that. And you know, we saw with that that stake video, right? He was like stake or like stake, S-T-E-A-K or S-T-A-K-E. Everyone was kind of like cringy, but okay. Um <laughs> so so yeah, definitely, definitely going to um going to keep going after those those platforms, I think. And uh the him and emails, I think we're just gonna, you know, be one massive, you know, kind of brainwave, right? Like we're gonna get to see, okay, this is this is this is what went into it. And now hopefully we'll be able to get some clarity going forward. And hopefully I think that's what everybody wants. So and Johnny, I don't think it's a coincidence that we're seeing three narratives come together at the same time. We've got the Ripple case finally coming to a close, the World Economic Forum and other global regulatory bodies creating regulation for crypto. And now what do we have? We have the Hinman emails being released at the same time. The Fed now is going to be launching their product. So there's so many narratives to focus on. What stuck out most to you? Well, for me, Abs, I think what's happening here, frankly, and I said this the other day on the show, I really believe that you know the judge has a big, big decision to make here, and it can shape and change this industry, right? And so what I believe is happening is if I, I'm the judge, right? You want the Hinman emails to come out first. That's going to then set the sentiment. For everybody of hey, what's going on here? And if 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 the judge, if those hitman emails come out abs and there's a smoking gun in there, think about how much easier the job is now for the judge to basically be able to go and make a ruling in a scenario where you know she could point to it and say, Well, look at the hitman email. You know, so I really believe she's waiting. I this is my gut. I could be wrong, but I truly believe she's like, hey, you know, because she can see everything. And Brad sees it, right? They all see it, and the SEC knows it. But the rest of the world has no clue what's going on. So why not wait for those to come out? Let She then lets the world see what she sees, and then it's so much easier for her to justify making her decision. I personally think that's what's going on here. And I think we're – so this way, as soon as we get those damn emails, I think it's after the th – Ellie might know. Ellie, any idea? They're coming out the 13th, or where are we getting these emails? Any idea? So the last day to file is the 13th. Uh, John okay. said if we see them any earlier than that, it'll likely be, you know, the 11th or the 12th. It's not going to be, you know, super, super early. But yeah, on on or around the 13th, we'll see. I wonder, I wonder if that's a Friday. Could this be Friday the 13th? Oh, boy, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> Let me check on that. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see if it's Friday the 13th. And are we, we going to get a no, good news? It's a okay, Tuesday. Good. It's a Tuesday. Okay, good, good, good. good. Then I'm, I'm, I'm kind of got positive results out of this. Like, well, when that comes out, Abs, I really think after that, 
Soon thereafter, my guess is we get a ruling from the judge, maybe by the end of June or maybe early July. That's my guess. Spot on. And I'd love to switch this conversation into a debt discussion about what's going on today, guys. We're going to play this short video about the IRS. Here we go. Person briefed on the talks, that's making the challenge that much greater to reach a certain level of desired cuts for non-defense spending. To get more savings, negotiators are now discussing dialing back a portion of the $80 billion allocated to the IRS under the Inflation Reduction Act to ramp up tax enforcement. Two officials called it a live issue and one that would help preserve some social programs that are important to Democrats that would otherwise be on the chopping block. And while no deal has been reached yet, it would need to be clinched by later today. The bill would then be written, posted perhaps by tomorrow. Speaker McCarthy has... It's an interesting time to say the least, Ellie. And what I'd like to connect this to is that the IRS, while they're cutting spending, is working to understand cryptocurrencies better. And this week, they announced that they're going to be sending four special agents one to Europe, one to Asia, one to South America, and one to Australia, specifically to study cybercrime from June until September. So there's a couple of articles going on here and a couple of big discussions. They're about to run out of money. We've got about four or five, or what is it? I think a week and a half now until the Federal Reserve is $18 billion in the hole. And that would be on the first Friday of June. So I'd love to hear what you're anticipating and the fact that the IRS may receive a cut in their spending. Yeah, I... I People keep talking about that the, they probably will default. And I, I think I, when was the last time we defaulted on the debt? I want to say it was like maybe like the 30s or something. I could be totally yeah, wrong. Like Please never, like 100 <laughs> years ago. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I do think a lot of this is like political theater as well. Like what you're seeing here, it's it's a lot of kind of just like posturing from you know, Kevin McCarthy from the uh, from from the president. And we see this all the time, right? This is not like, you know, this is nothing new. Every time we are about to hit the debt ceiling, this happens. And every time we freak out that we're going to go into default, I just don't see it happening. Um, you know, but the sad thing is, is that, you know, they're going to have to keep printing money then, right? Because if we're, in, we're in so much debt. We're in like trillions and trillions of dollars of debt. Like we're not going to be able to pay that back. So, you know, ergo, we're going to start printing money again. And the last time we started printing money, you know, willy nilly. <laughs> it was it was not a good outcome um, with the IRS thing, though. I think that's that's very interesting. And I think, you know, also more of a positive, uh, you know, potentially for the crypto industry, because they're kind of like they're they're, you know, they're targeting it specifically, like sending people out to, to study it. So I think, you know, might not necessarily be like like a negative thing. I think, you know, people are, are really trying to understand the space. And, and if and if the government is sending people to kind of do a sabbatical on it and like understand it more, that could be a positive. It could also be a negative. They're going to, you know, bring down and, you know, bring down enforcement cases and start, you know, taxing everybody's crypto like crazy. But at the same time, you know, just focusing on that and getting more educated on it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing, I don't think. And here's an interesting statistic I found last night about what they're calling the new normal. As some of the busiest cities in North America have experienced a 60% downturn in downtown activity. And so the way that they calculated this was cell phone towers figured out the activity in these regions and Los Angeles, they're about 65% of the capacity in 2019. But when you look at the bottom of this list, San Francisco, only 31% of the cell phones that were active in 2019 still exist in this area. Seattle's about 44%. Boston's 54 And of course, like I said, LA is 65 So Ellie, what I'd like to ask you is, do you believe this is the new normal? People are moving out of the cities and finding more independence elsewhere. Yeah, I think it's a trend that we've seen, you know, since COVID, right, as well. I think COVID accelerated it, but we've got, you know, people, remember how dead New York City was during COVID. People just wanted to get out of the city. And I think 
they're they're kind of staying there. They find these like suburbs and, and they they find it better, you know, for them to be there than than in these crowded cities. I do think it's probably a trend that we'll continue to see. Um, yeah, I don't know, Johnny, what do you think? Yeah, well, so what's happening is you, you've got two things happening. One, you've got work from home. So when work from yeah. home happened, now people no longer need to be going into these large cities to go work. Number one. Number two, work from home means you don't have to live in the expensive cities anymore. And I see we've seen in our state a flood of people, apps. everybody Ellie, left New York and came here because, A, the cost of living is cheaper. And so now, so I think you're spot on. It was all driven by COVID. Once you had that work from home, that has completely changed the way society is going to operate. And people have diverse. People are going to move into areas that are cheaper, lower cost. So, Abs, I would venture to guess that while you're seeing a shift in these cities and these numbers, if you went and looked at smaller towns and cities, you probably see it. It's not like it's going away. People are going to stop using their cell phones. This is actually, I think, a shift in activity. You So you're seeing that, yes, less here. But I'm sure if I picked a town, you know, not that far from here, you've probably seen a rise in it. In the local areas that surround those towns, you've probably seen a bump going up, is my guess. And notably, I can tell that they did leave Miami off of this list. So clearly there are some big cities that are growing. And Tampa, shout out to Tampa. I actually moved away from Boston into Florida during the C-19 crisis. I'm sure there's a bunch of listeners who did the same thing. But guys, we're going to close out today's show with the smartest way to track your crypto. Have you gotten wrecked in the crypto market space or watched your crypto portfolio go all the way up and then all the way down without taking profits? If so, it's probably because you didn't have an exit plan. The good news is that doesn't need to happen anymore thanks to a new and innovative crypto tracker called Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. Merlin brings all your coins into one place so you can see all your assets across the different exchanges on one screen. You can see your total portfolio value and more importantly, your daily gains, losses, and totals since inception. Merlin puts the power back in your hands so you no longer have to guess what your portfolio is doing on a daily or monthly basis. Most importantly, Merlin lets you create an exit plan and sends you notifications when your targets are reached so you no longer have to get wrecked in the marketplace. Go to MerlinCrypto.com. That's MerlinCrypto.com and sign up for our free 30-day trial and get on the wait list so you can receive an email when the product is launched. Don't miss out on this new and innovative app, Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. Johnny, not only is it the smartest way to track your crypto, but you can sign up for our thir application 30 days absolutely free. And the biggest development we have for our listeners is that we're going to be opening up beta testing and we're only going to be picking from the wait list. So if you want to get first access to Merlin, that's the best way to do so. But Ellie, I'd love to close out today's episode by just reminding people where they can find more of your content and saying thank you for joining us today. Of course. Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter at Eleanor Tarrett and you can follow my articles on foxbusiness.com. And thank you so much for having me, guys. I've had a great time, great conversation, and I'd love to come back. It'll happen. Thank you. You're definitely invited back, and we're going to figure out a time to do it, Ellie. So we're going to close this thing out the same way we always do by saying thank you to each one of our special guests. Thank you to Johnny Crypto. Thank you to Billy, and thank you to Ellie. we got 316 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We'll see you guys in 72 hours. And like we always say, warriors, rise. Get your shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us. Let's go. Thank you, Ellie. Thank you.